0: Hello, this is Jane Sigford, convener of the podcast Views and Voice Above the Noise, a podcast which is hosted by MASA, Minnesota Association of School Administrators. Today's topic is part of the series on women superintendents. There is a cluster of female superintendents in the northeastern part of Minnesota, partly on the Iron Range, and also in the large St. Louis County area. I interviewed Janie Blanchard of Chisholm, Reggie Ingebrigtsen from St. Louis County Mountain Iron Buell Schools, Gwen Carmen from Carleton, Jamie Wendt from Little Fork Big Falls, Joni Olson from Grand Rapids, and Cindy Olson from ARC, the Arrowhead Regional Computing Consortium. Unable to join us on this particular day were Ray Villabrun from Floodwood and Kim Belcastro from Renshaw. Including Floodwood and Renshaw, the seven public school districts serve well over 8,000 students. However, the geographic area is huge. In fact, in Reggie's St. Louis County Mountain Iron Buell districts, the geographic area is about the size of Connecticut. In Cindy Olson's domain of ARC, which is ISD 868, Arrowhead Regional Computing Consortium serves over 31 public schools with over 32,000 students. The influence and work of these women affect many thousands of students and their families. This was an unusual podcast because there were several people being interviewed at the same time, which led to great conversation and laughter and even better information. As with all the podcasts, several themes emerged. I was interested in why they became superintendents, the best parts of their jobs, their greatest learning, some of their major challenges, what type of support they need, and what advice they would give to others who are considering this very important job. Let's start with introductions. First of all is Janie Blanchard from Chisholm.
1: I started teaching in Park Rapids in 92, moved into principal at Baganagishi in 2006, moved into Cass Lake as principal in 2013, and then into superintendent
0: two years ago up here in Chisholm. Next is Reggie Ingebrigtsen from St. Louis County, Mountain Iron, Buell.
2: I started in special education as a special ed teacher and worked in St. Cloud for most of the years of teaching and then as special ed supervisor in St. Cloud and then came up north in 2007 to be the executive director of the Northland Learning Center. So I was a special ed director for 10 districts up here and then became superintendent in January 2018.
0: Gwen Carmen from Carleton.
3: Yeah, I was a teacher in Iowa, elementary education and special education teacher in Iowa, and then in Cook County, where Grandma Ray is, and then went to becoming a principal, the community education director in Cook County, and then was hired as superintendent
4: in Carleton in
5: 2016.
0: Jamie went from Little Fork, Big Falls.
5: I started out in 2002 being hired as a Title I. Para. And then a teaching job opened up in 2005 and 2017,
0: superintendent principal of the same school. Joni Olson from Grand Rapids.
4: I started out as a school social worker and working with um, separate site special education programs. Uh, became an assistant principal and worked as an assistant principal in St. Cloud Area Schools for two years and a principal in that same district for 14 years. I moved into a, an executive position um, working with teaching and learning for three years and became a superintendent in District 318 in July of
6: 2017. Next is Cindy Olson from ARC. I started at ARC in 1998 as the director's assistant. During that time, I finished my college degree, my four-year degree at the College of St. Scholastica with a degree in management. And then when my executive director retired in 2012, he probably mentored me to get the job. And I was, I was given the job um, working in finance and it was an easy transition.
0: We know that being a superintendent is a hard but rewarding job. I asked these superintendents to describe their favorite parts of the work they do. Reggie began this discussion.
2: Sometimes I think about Glenda the Good Witch or the Wizard of Oz. What I do like about my position is to be able to use the power for good. I always try to base decisions on what's good for kids Mm -hmm. and so that I can make change happen in this position and in this role. People tend to listen. I really like that, that we can do good things
0: for kids. Gwen talked about having influence over different parts of the organization.
3: I really like the diversity of the role in terms of you work with principals and office, you know, business staff, you work with the school board, you have interaction with teachers and students, although it's less. Like Reggie said, you have that influence over all the parts that we know are really important to successful schools.
4: Here's what Joni had to say. Uh, I really like to see the growth happen for students and the ability to work together with other administrators to make the strongest impact
0: possible. Jamie from Little Fork Big Falls.
5: Growing up and having Been a student at Little Fort Big Falls. I have a vested interest in having our school succeed. Working with the community and the students, it's very rewarding.
0: Janie Blanchard from Chisholm. For me, I think the fun part is the vision.
1: As a principal, as a teacher, I always had to listen to that superintendent's vision, and sometimes it didn't match where I wanted to go. And now it's like, I get to set this vision, and I get to go after that, and that's the fun part.
0: And to follow that up, how do you get other people to buy into your vision and to excite them enough to do that?
1: I don't know if I have yet. Reggie and I are working on the Iron Range collaboration to get other schools working towards a vision that we have of enriching our educational process. You guys are doing pretty much the same thing down in the southern part there. It just looks different because it's different people running it. You're just talking to people and letting them see where we could be
0: in the future. So I hear a lot of collaboration involved in that answer. Oh, tons. Among the many challenges that these superintendents face, you will hear concerns about enrollment, space needs, meeting the needs of taxpayers, dealing with sheer geographic size issues, hiring well-qualified personnel, and providing adequate training. We'll start with Gwen. I
3: think the challenges that that I'm facing are the, you know the general challenges of funding, declining enrollment and and open enrollment facility, how to address that in our small district when we are surrounded by other districts and how can we work together to the needs of students and community and the concerns of taxpayers
0: Joni's district in Grand Rapids has growing enrollment issues which is a little different than some of the other schools they have actually been building elementary schools plus the size of the district is a geographic issue because some of the schools are so far apart so keeping ideas together and collaboration occurring is somewhat of a challenge Cindy Olson has unique needs as well so I think
6: the biggest challenge of Arc as the, the collaborative of our 31 districts its talent hiring, The right talent internally to support our districts and getting them to stay because they could all make a lot more money working out you know with the general public than they make working with us and it's also helping districts find talent when business managers quit it's not something that there's a pool of applicants who are able to step into that job it's a three to five year learning curve same with superintendents there is a shortage you know trying to help districts get the right person in place and then when they're in place, making sure that we have the resources to train them so that they can fight on the administrative side of things, do what they need to do to be successful.
0: We talked about the needs for support. What kind of support do people need? Should the support be support for women superintendents and support for men superintendents separately or does it work really well and is there a benefit to having support groups that are both men and women together? Do men and women support each other differently? I think
3: men superintendents face many of the same challenges that we do. I think the hardest part about being a female superintendent is is getting that first job.
6: Cindy had this to say. In the 21 years I've been at ARC, we've had one or two women at a time. This is the first time we've had six. From three female superintendents to six in one year, when Janie, Joni, and... Janey, Tony, and Jolie and Hired, we doubled in, in one year, and I think as they do well and as they shine, I think people are getting more comfortable with, with thinking, why can't a woman do this job? I think sometimes we have to prove things a little better than our male counterparts to be considered successful.
0: Some professional articles have hinted that there's a perception that women avoid the superintendency or that boards don't hire women Because women are perceived as being weak in the finance area, although both men and women get the same training and licensure programs. I asked these women their take about that topic. Here's Joni's response. I think as I was hired, the instructional leadership
4: component was something that the board looked at more strongly than the financial piece. I'm certainly having worked in a variety of settings and handled Large budgets. I was able to demonstrate that competency, but there was a lot more conversation around those that instructional leadership component and ability to lead other administrators
0: than there was around the finance piece. Mm-hmm. Jamie agreed with Joni. Jenny talked about how both men and women need to get together.
1: I think for me, and I'm talking about the north part of the range where I'm at, I would have to say Reggie a Trail Horse because. People saw how good she could do the job. It made them easier to accept a female doing the job, and and I may, wanted to make sure I said that. To <laughs> one of us is successful; it opens doors for everybody else down the road, and we can look at and say that. But I, the guys get together in their own way as support and talk, and we needed to find our way to talk to for support for each other.
6: I think in the last ten years superintendency has changed Mm -hmm. when it comes to finance. In the olden days, the superintendent was the chief financial officer and they knew finances and finances 10, 15, 20 years ago were probably a little less convoluted than they are today. And so I think now superintendents of both sexes are relying on their business manager to handle that piece and if they trust their business manager and if they have a good working relationship with the, the, their business manager, then they're succeeding in that area.
2: And I would agree with Cindy. I think, I don't think necessarily of course, specific for aspiring female superintendents on finance is going to make a difference. And also kind of going back to your question, we've had this discussion. I struggled a little bit with the women's group type of thing and we had a good discussion about that because Mm -hmm. when i came here in 2007 as the executive director my board consisted of 10 superintendents as serving as in the co-op and those for many of those 10 years were all men i've had to work my way in the area and prove myself and do my job with integrity and i think that certainly helped me as i've moved into superintendency and serving for two districts that were part of that 10 but So when we first kind of talked about getting together, I went, I don't know, you know, I'm I'm fine. You know, we get along with the guy superintendents too. But Janie reminded me again how they go fishing or do things or hunting or whatever, and that it is okay to to get together. And we do mostly talk about work. I mean, how's it going for you? you, you Get your head above water and really support each other. And one of the reasons for that, in my opinion, is because we're not threatened by each other. When you're not threatened by another female, Superintendent, you truly can embrace them and support them. And i have been fortunate to have that, that can I go on going, well, how many more days till she's out of that job? Because I sure want it. I mean, that we can really be supportive and, and confidential with each other and, and that we have each other's back. And that's what's the key thing.
0: Do you feel the same with the men in your region? Yes. And would you, you could take up the yes. phone and call them yes. as well yes. as yes. you would? Absolutely. A- yes, yes. Absolutely. absolutely. Gwen had an additional take on what it is that women need to be successful.
3: I I was surprised to hear you say that there was a perception or research that said women being less adequate with finances because I wouldn't agree. Again, I think we all, men and women, go into the job with a certain amount of knowledge and we learn from our business managers. But but I don't know how else feels about this, but the one area that I have felt like I really had a steep learning curve was facility. We do, You know, when they start talking roofs and HVAC and you name it, I feel very inadequate because I've had, you know, in my principal job, I didn't have anything to do with that. And I think as a whole... Men are just more have had more knowledge, but I want to say that I said that to one of my male superintendent counterparts. I said, you know, we're talking about this HVAC system, and I don't really know what we're talking about. He goes, Quinn, you just get on your knees and you look in and you nod your head and say, "Yep, yeah, it looks good." <laughs> so, yeah. but that's something mm-hmm. I would say. I think superintendents in general, we don't we get no training on facilities. Yeah. So, how do you support one
0: another?
1: We try to get together once every couple of months just to talk, yeah. just to be there. But I know that I can call Reggie, I can call Gwen. If I have an issue, I can call any one of these ladies and they would talk me off the rope if I need to be or, or put me on the rope.
6: And sometimes it's just a matter of sending a text to say, hey, I know the referendum is today, good luck.
4: Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes
6: it's just that little thing mm-hmm. that we support each other with really well.
2: Or again, shooting out an email. So, I mean, yeah. when an email comes out, what do you think about this? or? this came about so I mean we know that you know we may not all answer but we're all thinking about the person or some of us are shooting an answer back to the person. And
0: What skills does someone have to have to be a good superintendent?
3: Collaborators, willing to work together. Committed to the core of public education.
0: Really having that high value on
4: student learning and student achievement.
2: And you really do come across I mean a variety of people I mean you've got to be ready for to listen and not necessarily know all the answers but if you say, I'll get you the answer, but I mean, I think it's just, it's a much broader audience of people who come at you with questions or concerns or requests, but then truly that collaboration, especially for us up here, and everywhere, really, I mean, when you're surrounding districts, and we're in a rural area where we're competing for students, programming, so that's another nice thing. We're all looking out for each other, and when we do collaborate, we celebrate, hey, that's really good that... I'm great. I'm glad that Joni's getting expansions and new schools. That's what that's what her area needs, and good for those kids. And the collaboration that we're trying to do on this side of the range some um, extra programming for kids. So again, just
0: being willing to think outside the box and work together. As in many areas, this part of the state deals with issues about size, small class size, geographic size and the size which limits the amount of broadband access that some of the students have. For us, a lot of it is scheduling. It's really
5: hard to schedule a small school and get kids what they need.
0: How do you use technology to overcome some of those?
5: We have, we offer college in the classroom as well as online through Lake Superior. We do a lot with Schoology that's used throughout our whole build. For our district, it's not necessarily small size
4: but square miles with 2,000 square miles, and and I think similar for Reggie, demographics are different across the district. We have one building that's a K-12 building that's about 35 miles away from the remainder of our building, so staying connected and having consistency across those miles is sometimes a challenge, but really important do um, a lot of connecting in that way, Um, but there's also a personal touch as well, so trying to to get to that site as often as possible uh, to see what the needs are.
6: I will say that distance is an issue in this part of the state. Mm -hmm. It is getting better every day, every week, every month, but when you have children in the cities who have Internet all over the place and they can download their their learning stuff at night, and you have somebody in rural Minnesota who doesn't have the option of having internet. They might be able to take a, a mobile hotspot home, but they've used all of that bandwidth up in one night. You know, so there are those issues that we have to deal with that bigger metro schools never have to deal with. And that is like, that a big
0: problem? Is access? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, to be
2: 2019 and we still have families with no internet. I mean, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. We'll Some inequities. And, and
1: I we, i did a, just like. Uh, four through 12 kids, and of those, 100 kids do not have internet at home. And how do we meet that need? And broadband, that whole issue is a big topic up here with Blandon and the cities and St. Louis County, the commissioners, and even um, uh, IRRB. That's a huge, big thing for them is getting broadband everywhere. And we just know, I know I have 100 kids who can't use Chromebooks at home. So how do we address that?
0: Do sometimes kids use their cell phones
1: for access? They do. We are looking at, we have a grant from Blandon, and, and we're buying hundred hotspots that they can check out
6: and take home. But that isn't always guaranteed access. I know even at my house, I have a Wi-Fi that sometimes works, depending upon the weather, it's a dish. But my phone is also my, my mobile hotspot. Sometimes I have to go out in the driveway if I want to get the internet because it just doesn't work at certain areas. So even though you can physically buy a hotspot, there may not be connection for them even to get at their house. Yeah, it's not a, a good point. So it isn't about people that aren't affording to pay right. for... I mean, that's
0: some There right? is no service. Yeah. The women talked about how they use the hierarchy of school structures to their best advantage.
4: I really rely on our business manager and um, our special services director and our HR director and, and use their expertise and their thoughts in our Superintendent's cabinet. So that's one way of kind of bringing everyone together and, and looking at an issue through all those lenses.
3: I think it is the role of the superintendent to make sure your whole administrative team is supported and mm-hmm. feels that ownership mm-hmm. that you're trusting them. You know, the mm-hmm. business manager, you know the business. You need to tell me what you think and, you know, I'm here to support you or problem solve or ask questions. But the other big part of the superintendent job is working with the school board. Mm-hmm. And that to me, you really need a person. You know, the board is elected to do their role, and they need a person that represents the, that entire district to problem solve and to be that liaison and help the, the board members understand that these are the issues. This is my recommendation. After having talked to my administrative team, you know, mm-hmm. again, not that it's all my decision, but they need that, the, the staff needs a spokesperson to be with the board and the community. To me, you have to have a go-to person, yeah. you know. But a di- yeah, but again, I'm not the business manager, I'm not the special ed director, I'm not the principal, you know, we're we're a team.
2: How do I get more information in so I can make a good decision? Connecting with those board members
6: is key. And I think, too, in in, in a team approach, if the team isn't all looking at the same goal, right. you could really have issues, and then you bring in a board that may have some disfluencies in, and you could really... You know, it could really cause a lot of turmoil. I think you do have to have the buck stops here for somebody.
0: The superintendent talked about dealing with school boards.
1: I will say as someone whose board turned over, half a, 50% of my board turned over in elections. And it, it has been an interesting journey since then, because before I had six people who had been on the board minimum of four years, but for the most part, 15 to 20. And now I've got three who've never been board
0: members. And the other board hired you.
1: Yes, and the other board hired me as part of that too. So now I'm trying to figure out how to get these personalities to work together and to blend together. And knowing that I've got a board member there who thinks that we're administrative top-heavy and maybe one of us should go, to overhear saying, no, we're fine. You know, and getting them to talk and work and work on decisions. It's been an interesting journey the last few months. And how are you doing that? Are you working on that, bringing them together? Talking to them individually. Making sure that when they're in front of the public, they have to understand what they say gets blown out of proportion many times. And, and just teaching them, just teaching the new ones have a talk to one of the more experienced ones. Last night, one of them walked in. The more experienced and just was crabby. You know, everything everybody did was wrong. <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, why are you doing that? And don't do that in public. I'm trying to help them blend.
0: Do they take advantage of some of the offerings of MSBA, or is that they do?
2: I think for me, um, when I was an executive director and I had ten superintendents on my board, I always in the same now and with two school boards. I really watch the body language. I really try to cue in and I try to hear them who needs what, who might need more information, need less information. And so, again, getting to know them. And like for St. Louis County, because it's so huge, I have seven board members, but they're um, elected by the school from their area. And I have two schools that are almost two hours apart, so huge distance. So then I focus, you know, if it's about something with their school, then making sure they're they know about it or here's a concern or whatever but again just being as transparent as they can and trying to meet their needs so again you know what I mean what is it they need to know to help make and I tell them that I want you to have as much information so you make the best decisions as you're voting as a board so telling me what you need I need two sentences Reggie I'd like a little mini dissertation on it what you know what is it they need to so that they can feel good about what they're doing in their role?
4: We have frequent board workshops, so we're able to provide information to our board in that way, and that's really met some needs for additional information, as well as for board members to be able to talk through key areas within our district or board goals and priorities that we're working on.
1: I do a board calendar, or I do an all-staff calendar. I put my whole week on there and so they know I'm in this meeting, uh, especially for my board chair and a couple of the others. They like it because they don't come to the office when I'm not there. <laughs> I send out to this, everybody, you know, this is my week, here's where my meetings are, and here's where I'm in office if you need to see me. And that helps keep them up also. I email my board a lot and will remind them not to email me back. That, that's a strong reminder, it has to go out. But if we have a situation going, you know, we had that lockdown that one day or we had a gas leak one day, that's an immediate email to the board. Here's what's going on. Here's how we're handling it, just so they know.
2: We have um, two meetings a month, and one of them is a working session. So that's new to both boards since it came on, I guess, and they've really found that beneficial. So more time to discuss issues, and then I'll say, this is an issue we're going to vote on again in two weeks, So, but they've got more time to talk about it, and then in between time, there's a reminder, or do you have any questions, or, again, so that it isn't quite so, let's vote on something, and especially for the new members, they're not sure... Can I ask questions, but at the working sessions, I think they feel more comfortable taking the time to go, tell me a little bit more about this? Or?
3: yeah, We also have two meetings a month, one of them being a working discussion meeting, and I work closely with the board chair and probably meet with her or talk with her, meet with her probably once a week and talk with her several times a week. You know, I have spent less time reaching out individually to the other board members. You know, I do the same thing in terms of emails, but I've been thinking about maybe that's something I should do more of to just help build trust and communication and problem solving so they feel like they are part of the the team and in the loop of communication.
5: Pretty good contact throughout the week. I'll get random phone calls from board members just to see how it's going, you know, if we need anything or whatnot. We have a meeting once a month. Um, I will send out an email like others. For instance, we had three sheriff's cars there to do a, a fundraising event, you know, not so they know why they were there. You know, the ambulances are there while kindergarten was having a little tour day, things like that. Or if there is a student emergency, they know why.
0: In an earlier discussion, Janie alluded to the fact that when a board changes, there are other changes in operations. Cindy talks a little bit more about that. Something that
6: we, we deal with that maybe the general public doesn't is every time your board changes, the tenor of your board may change. I mean we have had a board that was very conservative financially and so I struggled to move to a safer location. I struggled to get health insurance for my employees. I struggled to get raises for my employees. And the other day we were talking about something and I had one of my newer superintendents on the board say something that was beneficial to our our employees and I was repeating to him like how I would protect ARC because that's what I was trying to say because that's what I've heard for the last seven years was how to protect ARC and not our employees and I just didn't get that he was trying to do what I've been trying to do and it was just like because the board has changed I have to learn to change too because it means that they're different that how they think and how they move as a unit changes when the membership changes.
0: Boards have a learning curve as well because some people come in with an idea about one topic that schools deal with and what they don't always realize is that there are many topics. And the superintendents get to help shape the vision that schools are about learning.
3: I think it takes board members, and I understand it, a long time to learn. You have to be concerned about all of those things. And that is the job. The broad
1: scope of it. They come in thinking, oh, I'm going to focus on... I'm just going to
3: support teachers and give them all the curriculum they need.
1: Right. And then they then they get handed the budget mm-hmm. and they go, oh, wait, how can I keep that promise? Right, right. right you know, they right.
6: that's part of their learning. That it's right. broader than, than what they thought. And, and I've been to board meetings where the focus was how well the sports team does. And they were mm-hmm. tired of going to games and not having the team win. Deal with that, and that's something that, You know, as a superintendent, you have to kind of turn that around to say it's about the curriculum. Sometimes that's a difficult sale.
0: To interview several people at once such as this was a wonderful way to learn from each other and to build on each other's answers. It was sometimes difficult if more than one person spoke, but this was a very polite group that had learned the kindergarten lesson of taking turns very well. It was really fun for me. As you probably heard, we met at a restaurant after a region meeting and the kitchen was banging a few pots and pans, which added a little local color. Sorry about that noise. We will close with some words of advice from these women of the North for those who are thinking of becoming superintendents.
2: Go for it, I, I'm loving this, I do. I really do. Again, I think the changes that we can make and focus on kids and, and I loved being a special ed director, but this is a broader, I do general ed and the whole gamut and the learning, and it's just, um, you know where they say if you know your why and you wake up with passion, I, I am grateful. I am very grateful. I've got good boards and good people, and
3: so go for it. Absolutely. it's a, There are challenges, but that doesn't have to be negative. That's the job. That's the exciting part is how do, how do we address these challenges to support students and help the community go good about schools and the work that we're doing.
5: I absolutely loved being in the classroom, and I was hesitant to leave. But now I get to see all the kids, um, even the seniors that I had in third grade, you know. So it's very rewarding. First year was extremely hard because you have to go home. You don't want to because there's something else you can always do, but you have to go home. I would say go for it just as everyone
4: else. There are some great challenges and some puzzles to figure out. And go into the role with the attitude of a learner because there's a lot to learn in that first year and that second year and just be ready to dig in and do that.
6: I would say don't have regrets. Don't say I don't think I can do it. Give it a try. And if you fail, keep trying. I mean they've proven that people who are most, most successful are the people who have tried and failed and tried and failed. And so being persistent is important. Well, you know,
1: there's, uh, there's a couple of good books. I'm trying to remember which one the quote is from, but it's it's the way women and men different look at different things. And one of it is a male applying for a superintendent's job would say to the board, oh, I can do that. Oh, no problem. Let me have at it. Whereas we as females tend to say, oh, you know, I think I can do that. I think I'm good. And I would say that if this is going to females or anybody, it's go for it. You'll learn the job. You'll find your niche and you'll find your way. Don't be afraid to take that leap. If this is what you want, do the leap.
0: Words to live by. If this is what you want, do the leap. This is Jane Sigford signing off. If you have comments for me, my email is JLsigford at comcast.net. Thanks very much for listening.